Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Good morning, Bridgewater Church. It is exciting to be able to be together online. And whether you're tracking with us every week or you're brand new, we want you to know you're loved. We want you to know that we care about you and we really are thrilled to be able to share in God's word together. And we're in week three of this series called Cool Off and Breathe. It comes out of Acts chapter three and four, And I thought it might be just fun to start with some amazing facts about breathing. Do you ever think about your breathing, the breaths that you take in a day? Well, let me share some things that might be interesting to you. They were to me. The average person breathes the equivalent. We breathe in the equivalent of 13 pints or 1.6 gallons of air every minute. And we take in 17,000 breaths a day. That's pretty amazing how God has created our bodies. What about this? If our lungs were laid flat, they took them out of our body, they laid them flat, our lungs would cover a tennis court. That's the size of these incredible organs that we call lungs that we need to breathe. Did you know that our lungs swap out four to five percent oxygen for carbon carbon dioxide and other waste gases? Now think about this. When we breathe, 70% of waste is eliminated through our lungs and our breathing. I like this one. How many of you have ever sat in a doctor's office? Now, I know it's been a little bit less since the pandemic, but did you know that about 80% of the people who sit in a doctor's office have a breathing problem whether they know it or not? And then, you probably know this, but our emotions change the way we breathe. When you get excited, when you're afraid, but... Effective breathing, if we learn to breathe correctly, it can actually help reduce anxiety, depression, stress, and lower our blood pressure. Now, here's a fact I thought was pretty incredible. This is the last one. Most people can hold their breath. In fact, let me just ask you, how long do you think people can hold their breath underwater, or even just above the water. It's about one to two minutes. But in 2010, Stig Severinsen from Denmark held his breath underwater, are you ready for this? 22 minutes. Now, I would call that controlled breathing. In fact, he said something that I want to build a bridge with. Severinsen said, the more you believe in the power of thought and the more you listen to your breath, the greater changes 
you can create in your life. I, I want to add something to that. Let, let me do that this morning. I, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, the creator of our physical breath, also has a spiritual breath that he wants each of us to experience on a regular basis. We've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks. God wants us to experience the spiritual breath of the Holy Spirit. It comes out of our anchor verses in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Peter said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now, we've been breaking this down, so look at this again. Specifically, what it means to be refreshed is this. It's like having a cool drink of water. It's like being able to recover on a very hot day and we gain our breath back that leads to revival. I want to show you a way that I've rewritten the verse. And here it is. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of catching our breath revival may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. We talked about this last week. When we repent of our sins and we turn away from our sins with the help of God, there's miraculous transformation and healing from the inside out. What God wants from us is to be able to put all of our faith and all of our trust in God. And to do that, we need this cooling off, catch your breath, revival that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Now, I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt. I believe that God is preparing us for this revival. I think God is preparing, in fact, I know God is preparing me for this kind of revival. The kind of revival where you want to go out and tell people there is a God, Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you believe. Not because life is perfect, not because you haven't been through struggles or won't go through struggles again, but literally we believe that there is revival, a refreshment through the power of the Holy Spirit found in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk about that today. We're going to continue our story. We're going to move now into Acts chapter 4. And as we do, today I want to talk about what it means to courageously trust the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what struggles you've been through. Maybe you grew up going to church, or you had a parent or a grandparent that you admired their faith, that, that no matter what happened in their life, they, they were just solid as a rock in their faith for God. Do you want that kind of faith? Do you want to be the person that other people look to to say, why is it no matter what happens in your life, you courageously trust 
in the name of Jesus Christ. You constantly seem to be able to catch your breath and be refreshed. I want to show you how that happens because as we join Peter and John again, the, the crippled man has been healed. And because the crowds are growing and so many people are choosing to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish people, is upset, and Peter and John are arrested. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananus, the high priest, was there. And so was Caphius, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Here's our first truth for today. Courageously recognize our power source. We must, say it with me again, courageously recognize our power power source. Now, I've already explained that Peter and John have been arrested, but what's important to understand is why Peter and John upset the Jewish rulers and leaders, especially the Sadducees. Now, there were different groups of Jewish leaders, but it's the Sadducees that were the lesser of number in the group of Jewish leaders, and yet they held the most power. And this is the reason. They were the aristocrats. They had the money. They had the influence. And so, what is going on and taking place here that, that I think is so interesting is that uh, they are upset because they're actually jealous. They're concerned that the balance of power is going to shift, and the Jewish people might just recognize and admit that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Messiah. And this is really where it gets interesting, because I don't know if you know this tidbit, but the Sadducees did not believe that the Messiah was a person. The Messiah was an idea, and they certainly didn't believe in the power of a resurrection. So, without any question, without any question, the Sadducees did not want Peter and John to preach in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Christ and Messiah. So they have them arrested. In fact, we're told that the uh, lead of the Jewish temple guard went and took action and arrested them. This man would have been a, a Sadducee himself. And now they think this plan is coming together. 
This was such an, can I use the word ostentatious? I've been waiting to say that word all morning. This group was so ostentatious that we're told Ananus, the high priest, Cappius, John, and Alexander, and the members of the high priest family were present at this hearing. Let's just go back for a moment. Let's go to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. And this is just as Jesus is arrested before he's crucified. Then the detachment of soldiers with his commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Ananus, who was the father-in-law of Cappius, the high priest that year. Cappius was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Uh-oh, Peter and John have no hope. Think about it. Peter and John, why would they even be courageous? These are the same men that sentenced Jesus to death. And here they are again. And now it's Peter and it's John. Would you be afraid? Would you be looking at this Jewish council and these people saying, we, we have no way out of this? Think, think about it like this. It's the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the elders of the Jewish nation. There are teachers of the law that make up the Sanhedrin. They're sitting in probably a circular form in an area just off the temple square. And they are what we would consider the supreme high court. And here's Peter and John being brought out and they look around in this room full of people and they see the same people the same Jewish leaders that sentenced Jesus to death and set Barabbas free. How would you feel? What would be going through your mind? Now, I want you to really understand this first truth. Let's, let's embrace it again. Let's say it again. Courageously recognize our power source. The question of all questions that is asked is, what is the source of your power? In what name do you share this, this gospel message? Can I ask you, what's the source of your power? Now, we all have a source of power. Some people have said to me, Pastor, I, I get my, my power and my refreshment from my family. Okay, that's nice. That's good. I've had someone say to me before, well, it's my spouse who is my, my rock. That's the person I cling to. Okay, that's nice. Some people tell me it's their money. They, the more money they have, the more powerful they feel. Well, there's possibly some truth to that. And of course, you know this one, success. Some people think that their power comes from their success and, don't you love this, title. From their, from their title. I, <laughs> I was, when I was a young man, I was asked to participate in a funeral for a person in our 
church, a, a father had passed. And the, the young man, the son, said, Pastor, would you participate on behalf of, of our family in this service? Now, I wasn't the one doing it. It was a Lutheran service. I have nothing against my, my Lutheran brothers and sisters. But I'll never forget that the man that came in to do the service was a, can I just use the term higher up district representative? He looked at me and he goes, uh, what name would you like printed in the bulletin? And I, I said, uh, Drew Wilkerson is fine. Oh, oh, he said, we, we could never print that. And I, and I said, oh, okay. I felt intimidated, to be honest. He, I said, well, what, what are my options? He goes, uh, I will be called the very reverend. Then he gave his name and his entire title. It must have taken up, I don't know, three quarters of the, the bulletin on the back. And I said, could I just say Pastor Drew Wilkerson? Well, I, I don't think that's very dignified, but, but if that's what you want, we'll put that in. You, you just can't say Drew Wilkerson. Now, of course, I wanted to be a little sarcastic and say, that's what my mama has called me all my life. But do you understand how some people see their power source as as something that isn't real, it's not lasting, it's not, it's not anything that, that is something to be trusted in the deepest, darkest moments of our life. You can't trust your money, your finances, your family, your, your, your titles. When you're struggling, you, you've got to have something that no matter if everyone deserts you, what are you going to do for your power source? And the power source here, without any question, is Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus. I love Romans 15, 13. The Apostle Paul writes to me, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to us. Listen, church. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to us and we receive it. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's the Holy Spirit that was inspiring Peter in this divine moment. It wasn't his title. It wasn't that he had been with one of uh, Jesus as a disciple. But it's the name of Jesus that makes all the difference. Now let's look at... Uh, Acts 4, 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
Here's the second truth. We must courageously realize our need for salvation. There was a lot of thing, I think, that the Sadducees and the entire Sanhedrin wanted to debate with Peter and John. Have you ever ended up in a theological debate? Have you ever majored on the minors instead of majoring on the majors in a discussion? When I think about this, I'm not sure who was the eyewitness, but it would appear to be Luke. He's our storyteller. And in Luke's gospel that he records, chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, the words of Jesus are echoing all throughout the Sanhedrin courtroom. Jesus said, they will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of, here it is, my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Are you getting excited yet? I am telling you this was a moment. Here's Peter. Peter has been asked the question of all questions. By what power or what name is this man healed? Now the very first thing that we see is that people who know Peter, and even people in a moment who don't know him, they're beginning to see a transformation in him. Why? Because inspired by the refreshing, catch-your-breath revival of the Holy Spirit, Peter begins to share. He's not sharing in his own strength. He's sharing in the power of Jesus Christ, and then he brings clarity. The very first thing that he says is, listen, if you think this random act of kindness is important, can, can we just pause? Press pause. I'm all for uh, Noah's Ark. I'm all for Noah's Ark. You know what I mean, Ark. It's the uh, acts of random kindness. Do you remember that uh, whole movie that we saw? And It was a Hollywood thing, and it, it, it started with, uh, I, I think it was... Uh, was it Jim Carrey that did that first one? Man, everybody is into kindness. Man, I'm all for kindness. I'm all for arc, acts of random kindness. But that's not what Peter is saying. Peter isn't saying, hey, listen, the fact that this guy is healed and the fact that um, he can walk, this isn't some magical, marvelous moment. This is a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. I love what Pastor Warren Worsby once wrote. Great names come and go, but the name of Jesus remains. The devil still hates it. The world still opposes it. But God still blesses it. And we can still claim it. And the name of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of prayer and the treasury of God's grace. It's the weapon that defeats the enemy and the motivation that compels our sacrifice and service. It's the name that causes our hearts to rejoice and our lips to sing praise. Listen, here's the second truth. Courageously realize 
that we need salvation, and that salvation can only come through the name of Jesus Christ. I want to get really specific right now in this moment. Peter literally refers to and quotes Psalm 118.22. He tells the Sanhedrin that the rejected foundation stone has become the cornerstone or the capstone of all that God has planned for his people. Now, just, just come on now, wrap your mind around this. They look at Peter as just, we'll, we'll look at this in a minute, but they see Peter as just an ordinary man, and he's quoting Old Testament scripture. There, we call it the Old Testament. It was their sacred scripture. And when he quotes it, he's saying, listen, all along we've been told about the foundation stone of our faith. And then Peter makes the correlation. He builds the bridge. Jesus is the foundation stone. I want to turn to a letter that Peter would write later in life. We title it First Peter, but I want to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 specifically. He writes, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, I love this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter has talked about the power source of our lives. Now he's talking about what's the foundation of your life. What, what, listen, no home can stand without a solid foundation. When, when we built an addition onto the house we're living in now, it, it's on a concrete slab. And when we built an addition, and I said I wanted a partial basement that walked out, my contractor looked at me and he said, Drew, you do realize you need a solid foundation and we don't want to disrupt the foundation slab that you have. So they, 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 they took all this concrete, loads and loads and loads of concrete, and they, they dug along the house and they put in this solid concrete piece just to build the, the, the basement and the family addition next to and on top of. Can I ask you, who is your power source? Who is your foundation stone? Listen, if you've already denied that there's a God, if you stop believing that there's a God, you have no power source, and you've removed the capstone foundation, the cornerstone of your life. And this is so cool. Peter actually said this. Peter actually made this point in his letter. He said, we're little living stones. <laughs> How do you like to be a living stone? You're a holy priesthood. Do you realize what Peter was saying? We don't, we don't need a Sanhedrin. We don't need a ruling council of religious leaders. Not that we don't need guidance. Not that we don't need structure. But he said, we are called once we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and we ask Jesus in his name to save us. We become a holy priesthood we are the living stones of the foundation of God's kingdom. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. 
It is incredible. But the real question is, have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? Do you mean it? You and I can't just believe it because our parents believed it. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the only name by which we can be saved? Please don't be offended by that. We live in a world today that wants to believe there are so many different ways to heaven. Through any religion, through any kind acts or peaceful demonstrations. But we see this clearly in what Peter says to the Sanhedrin. Only through the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The beautiful thing is to know that Jesus is our Savior. Courageously realize our need for salvation. That's the key. Which leads to this last part. Acts 4, 13 through 22. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Here's our third truth for this morning. If you and I want a refreshing breath from the Holy Spirit, we got to recognize our power source. We have to realize our need for salvation. But here's the last we must courageously remember our calling to share. Now, th this, this last piece is loaded with incredible insights, but I want to break it down simplistically for us because it's so vitally important. First, we realize this, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, Peter and John brought admiration to the Sanhedrin. You ever had somebody you didn't really want to like? You didn't really want to like them. But the more you talked to them, the more you realized that they knew what they were saying. They were wonderful people. That's exactly what was happening. In fact, if you look back, we realized that everyone had, was hearing about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter preached the first message. Now Peter's preaching again. We're told that 5,000 
men. 5,000 men have come to know Christ as their Savior. And guess what? Some in the Sanhedrin were believers as well. And they look at Peter and John and they say, these are just ordinary men. I love the translation in the King James that said they were ignorant. These must must be illiterate men. They're fishermen, tax collectors. Yeah, the, the Jewish base of teaching made many, many people literate and educated. But these were people of the land, as they would be thought of. Why in the world would they be the ones to be able to speak with such authority? Well, all they can conclude, well, they've been with Jesus. Can can I just, oh, I want to preach here. I don't have time to preach here, but can people tell that you and I have been with Jesus? Can people tell that you and I have a personal relationship with Jesus? It's so awesome when I'm out with my son, Matt. People will look at me and say, oh, I can tell he's your son. You two sound alike. I've even had Kay say to me, you and Matt walk alike. Can can people tell that we walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, sound like Jesus? Otherwise, the question is, who do you sound like? You trying to sound like some big shot? Some guy on a podcast? Some friend that you have? Who are you trying to say? I can remember when I first, the first time I preached, as I entered ministry, there was a pastor who's still alive today that I have admired all my life as a teacher and a speaker, Chuck Swindoll. And I can remember actually trying to sound like and act like Chuck Swindoll. I am not Chuck Swindoll. But I am like Jesus. They look at them and they said, they have courage. Literally it means we see the bold confidence in them. We see the bold confidence in these men. We hear what is going on. We know who they are. And so the Jewish leaders take a break. I don't know how Luke got the backstory. I'm glad somebody was in the room, but they put him out to to talk about him. And they said, well, we don't know what we're going to do because everybody's believing. So they bring him back in and they say, listen, here's the deal. You can go, but you got to stop Speaking in the name of Jesus. You've got to stop talking about Jesus. Listen, this is is crucial. How many of us would have said in our minds, I'll do what I want, but to get out of here unscathed, I'm not going to say anything else. I don't want to be flogged. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be crucified. I'm I'm just going to let it ride, and I'll go do, do whatever else. But under the power of the Holy Spirit with integrity, oh, Here is a verse on Christians having integrity and being truthful. Stop! Listen, this is a freebie. Just grab this one. If you are a follower of Jesus, stop telling a half story. Stop spinning a half truth just to make all your friends happy and not have to confront the issues in your own life. Peter stood his ground and said, I'm just going to tell you before we go, no matter what it costs me, remember who the priest is. 
Remember what happened to Jesus. And he goes, just so you know, I cannot not say to you, you're not our authority. If, if, if your Jewish faith is going to come against the story and the purpose and the plan of God, we've got to go out here and talk about Jesus. Is that how you feel when, when, when you go out into public? Are you ready to ask God to help you talk about Jesus. I often pray the prayer in my own life. God, when I go out in public, I pray this every time I get on a flight. God, if there is someone somewhere that needs to hear the story of Jesus, I want to tell that story. And you know what's mind-blowing to me? Peter made it clear. Do you really think it would be right to put our faith and trust in you? You're not the ones that healed the man. You're not the one we walked with. You're not the, the Christ, the son of the living God that we know and saw was resurrected from the dead. Our authority and our trust is not in you. Our authority and trust is in God. In fact, look at the scripture. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophet and heirs of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, this was from last week. But I want you to hear it again. This was God's plan all along. This is what God wanted. He wanted us to put our faith and our trust in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you a, a great story? Many of you will have at least heard the name Billy Graham. Well, a name you, you might not have heard as much is his brother-in-law, Leighton Ford, who is 90 and still alive today. Leighton Ford was a great evangelist but but i like the, the 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 title sharer he was a sharer of the good news Leighton ford was on a plane and he was sitting down by an empty seat and he thought this is going to be so nice i'm going to get some rest do a little reading and have an empty chair next to me but right before the plane doors closed, a 96-year-old woman was escorted to the seat by the flight attendant. And as they were traveling, Leighton Ford was courteous. He found out who she was and, and that she was 96. And so he asked this question. He said, well, as a 96-year-old, can you tell me what's the greatest lesson you've learned in life? What's one of the greatest experiences that you've had. And without hesitation, she said, knowing Jesus as my Savior. And she went on and talked eloquently as a 96-year-old about her relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Well, to play the devil's advocate, <laughs> Leighton Ford thought he'd have a little fun with this older lady, and he said, what's so big deal? What, what's such the big deal about asking Jesus to be your Savior? Leighton Ford writes, he said, that lit her up. Her, her arms were waving. 
her voice was elevated and she was talking with authority and power and Leighton Ford couldn't handle it any longer. He says, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm a believer too. Jesus Christ is my savior too. In fact, he said, I'm Leighton Ford. I'm an evangelist and my brother-in-law is Billy Graham. She said, who? He, he said, you know, he's been on TV. He's traveled the world. Thousands and thousands have found Jesus as their Savior from his preaching. Billy Graham. She goes, I must have been out that day. I've never heard of him. Leighton Ford went back and told Billy Graham that story. And here's what Billy Graham said. He said, isn't it wonderful that there are millions of people who believe in Jesus Christ not because of my name, but because of the name of Jesus. I need you to do something as we close. I want you to catch your breath. I'm going to teach you just a little something I learned years ago. So with every eye closed, no cheating, I want you to close your eyes and we're going to breathe together. But I have a, a phrase I want you to think of. I want you to think of this phrase, in with Jesus, when you take a breath in, I want you to think of this phrase. We're going to say it out loud, in the name of Jesus. And then when you exhale, I want you to say, out with, and say your name. In, in with Jesus, out with, and say your name. In with Jesus, in with the name of Jesus, out with, say your name. Let's try that together. Now you're just going to breathe. Just relax. Let's let all of our thoughts calm. And here we go. In the name of Jesus, out with Drew. In the name of Jesus, out with Drew. Let's even simplify. Say this. In with Jesus, out with, say your name. In with Jesus, out with me. Father God, we need to catch our breath. We need to put our trust in you. We need to ask you for your favor and your grace. God, we're asking that you put all of your breath into us so that we can be refreshed for revival. God, may you be glorified. God, may you be praised. And in the great name of Jesus, may we be bold, confident, and courageous because only in the name of Jesus can we be saved. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, do me a favor, folks. If you're on live with us right now, tell Pastor Liz your first name and say, I prayed that prayer with Pastor Drew. In with Jesus, out with your name. Tell her your name. Pastor Liz is our online pastor. I know a lot of times we're silent, but if you're tracking with Pastor Liz right now in our, our live chat version, tell her your name. I prayed that prayer. My name is... 
My name is Drew. My name is Stephen. My name is Sarah. Say, Pastor Liz, I'm here. I prayed in with Jesus, out with, and tell her your name. And let me tell you why. I want to pray for you this week. I'm going to connect with Pastor Liz. I'm going to find out who let her know because we want to pray for you in the name of Jesus that miraculous things can happen when we stop, take a deep breath from God, we cool off and prepare for revival. I love you. You're amazing. And until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey, friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus.